Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in a new podcast studio um, recording with my friend and colleague, Michael. And uh, we are excited to be recording this. It's been a while, a few months, Mike, more than a few months. It's been a while. We've just kind of, you know, end of the semester and summer stuff and... Uh. Mike yeah. got wind that there was some rumor that I wasn't doing well. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> like a cult almost had a, like a you know health check on you or well, yeah. wellness check on and, you. Uh, I'm doing fine, mm-hmm. and uh, I have heard people. I've had people come up and ask, like, "Are you guys both okay? Like, what <laughs> what's going on with the podcast?" And I guess the the short answer would be um, simply that uh, we're disorganized and lazy. I, I think. Well, to be fair to Mike, um, you've had a ton of stuff. Um, Mike has been preaching a lot. Uh, he's department head. We have a new theology prof coming in. Um, Cleaning offices. Shout out to stuff. Jason Oakland, yeah, who will be our new theology prof. Um, he's been very involved in that process. Yeah, we've had to get offices cleaned out, ready for people. Um, uh, and uh, just coming off a of COVID semester that had a lot of... Uh, you know, curveballs that we had to be ready for, doing virtual and in-person. Um, I've got a, one class I'm taking on I haven't taught before that's a new prep, one that I'm rebuilding, one that I've had once before that I'll be taking up again that I'm excited about for, for history. Um, with families, our families have been doing stuff. They had activities. You had a kid graduate. Some sickness. Yep. Then we, got, um, we, had, we had a car get totaled, so you've been you've been trying to... Sell me on the uh, new Ford Maverick. I'm all about it, baby. I, I might know. trade the F-150 in for this thing. I, I think that would be Are a you good looking at it now? I'm looking at it right I'm now. I'm telling you, it's not a bad. <laughs> and the thing is, it's coming off, uh, it's all, like, it's coming off, I think, the escape base. So most of the, this, none of this is from left field. So I don't, okay. really don't think it's going to be like a first year sure. jitters type of thing. Sure. Well, my, my wife will not uh, let me buy a Ford, so. Why not? Um, her family had bad luck with Fords, and then we had a Ford Contour that was... Oh, that was a bad one, yeah. That was not super great. So... We have Fords that have been going forever. We are uh, Jeep Chrysler people, so... I've had bad Dodge experiences. Really? I broke down in Chicago with a pregnant wife. They AAA took us to a real shady mechanic. They stretched yeah. out for days. Stayed in like a drug prostitution den for a night. Uh, unwittingly, because it was the hotel by there. Um, but I've had bad luck with Dodge trucks. Minivans have been okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we should move on. That's yeah. Anyway, it's that's, been a while. That's our what we were trying to say. And uh, so we're hoping to get back to uh, recording. We actually did have to move studios. Um, so we are a uh, amongst we're, boxes. We're living in a transient manner um, as a podcast. Also, right our new air conditioning in the new office. Um, we can't figure it out. But it's on Celsius, not Fahrenheit. So yeah. it's I can't figure out how to switch it. So we came in here and we're like, why is it set to 20 degrees? We should put like an American flag sticker on it. Maybe that would fix it. <laughs> so It just doesn't know where it is. Maybe it's the echo button. Like if you turn the echo button, the economy button off, then it'll go back to like like using oil and America. Yeah, America hard for yeah. us, you know. We want, we want Fahrenheit. Um, but anyways... We're happy to be back at it. Um, we are part of the 1517 Podcast Network, uh, at least so far as I know we are, unless they assumed we just 
retired and, <laughs> and haven't said anything. Um, and we are happy to be a part of that network. They have a number of podcasts that have been stayed very active, been very dutiful um, and faithful. Um, and we commend that for them. I you think they're up to 20, 20 now. Um, blog posts, daily devotions, um, free academy classes. Michael did one on vocation, which we'll be talking about um, his book here today. And that will be our topic. Our topic will be Michael and his book on vocation. Um, lest I I keep talking because it's been a while since we've done this. And uh, I'm just kind of happy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to my friend, Michael Berg, author for the uh, disclaimer. This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you are just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Hello and welcome back. We're going to go to our free-for-all today. Uh, before I give you the free-for-all topic, though, um, I met a fan yesterday at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. A fan of the podcast? Of the podcast. Or of you? Uh, no, and this, is, this will be a part of the story. Um, Andrew Fink, I think I got that right. Sounds like a good name. He is a Muskego kid, Wisconsin Lutheran graduate, went and did uh, master's um, in business and then was in a PhD program and figured out that's not what he wants to do. And so now he is, which is probably smart most of the time he is, um, unless you can land a, a spot at a small Christian liberal arts college right. in the Midwest. And, uh, so he is going to be the dorm, uh, supervisor at Wisconsin Lutheran high school. They have international students there and then going to be teaching some finance there. And so we had a, we had a, Wisconsin Lutheran High School. I help out there once in a while, so they had like a new faculty little get together. And he came over and said um, that he listens to the podcast, and he said, "But Wade's my favorite." Well, nice. We then, rarely get that. But then I showed. Usually, him. it's Wade interrupts. Yes. Um, Wade <laughs> says borderline inappropriate yes. things. I don't like Wade's politics, even though I don't share my politics yeah. normally. But, um, I, I had a picture of you on your bike, your new e-bike, which is another new thing. Which Mike thing. gave extra credit to his students to if I could take get, a picture of. If I could get video of Wade Johnston riding. Because what was I doing every day, Michael? You were riding your bike from, from home or at least yeah, way home. home. Yeah. Um, and th that's something that has been uh, new since last time we recorded. That's another thing that's been Right. I used to ride my bike in and then I yeah. got... Um, old and fat yep. and then my leg bent the wrong way and now you're getting I back couldn't into do it. revolutions on the bike and uh with a little assistance you're getting and back then I was doing it on my regular bike but I was driving part way mm -hmm. and now I got the e-bike so, so you can do no pedal assist to high yep. and I've been keeping it low and I've been uh, commuting on that bad boy except for the the tire blowout and then I so I have a picture of you that I, yeah. I captured with your little green helmet riding and then I showed it to Andrew and I said um is Wade still your favorite and he said no I'm sure he was joking. <laughs> he, was. he will do hate e-bikes. A lot of people love them. A lot of 
My favorite is when people be like, that's cheating. <laughs> when they haven't run their bike in forever. Right, right. Well, like driving a car is cheating then if you right. really want to go that way. So, no, yeah. good for you. Um, for our free-for-all today, I have had one in my mind for a while. And that, I think this will be an interesting one. We're going to take uh, probably the four major sports, five major sports. We'll include soccer in there. And the question is, what about the sport itself is its biggest flaw? So uh, what I mean by that, is there something in the rules or is there something in just the way the game is played that you're like, oh, I wish that wasn't the case. What is the biggest flaw in each sport? So I've thought about this a little bit. Um, do you want me to go first? Yeah, I was just reading Peter's comments in Telegram. Okay. I'm going to go. It's the closest he's come to contributing to the podcast in quite <laughs> some while. I'm going to do one that comes from Ben Lyra. Um, uh, and that is for basketball. The biggest flaw is when you, at the end of the game or the half, usually at the end of the game, you foul, right, in order to stop the clock, and then you force somebody to take these free throws, right? And so why should you get rewarded for fouling, right? I, Although Ben's, Ben is against basketball, refs sure. and basketball yeah. at all, all yeah. together, yeah. So, but it is kind of a flaw there that, the, that you have, it's not... It's not really to, if you are purposely fouling on a regular basis, so you're doing something illegal and negative so that you can be, that you can have a benefit. Now in sports, that's going to happen once in a while. Like maybe you let somebody score at the it end of a football, football game, whatever. But for almost every close game that becomes a part of the strategy, I think is a internal flaw of basketball. That would be mine. Yeah. And I, I would have been. With you, perhaps, but I've thought more about this because whenever there's basketball, Ben usually is commenting on the refs. And I understand his uh, frustration because it probably is one of the more subjectively officiated sure. sports. But I was thinking about the other day, and I think it probably reflects life the best of all the sports <laughs> insofar as how like law and, um, and, and stuff is applied, right? Like... In in regular life, there's it's very there's people who speed and get away with it. Mm-hmm. There's people who speed and get caught. Um, there's people who do the same thing as another person but get a heavier fine. There's those who get less. In our uh, um, dystopian wonderland, there's people who go to jail so they have somewhere to sleep and eat, so they break the law for their own uh, benefit. I mean, I wish it weren't the way the case that that was. Um, something but uh so i part of me kind of thinks it's, it's real it's yeah but it's still it's still an internal flaw in and the i think world. we get so mad at it because we look at sport to be where things can be like meritorious this is the yeah. fair level playing field right. this is in the rawlsian sense this is the veil of ignorance that we stand behind and now everyone's the same and the field will prove the merit um and i think uh but that's not that's why world. we get so mad at bad calls yeah but so I I don't know I'm coming okay. around on that in basketball right. bit. Um, let me give you the next one. I'll, I'll, let me do but this. But if, if it's the Pistons getting the calls, <laughs> yeah. then throw out everything um, I just said. I'll give you another one that is an internal flaw, and like I like soccer. I like watching soccer, or if you prefer, football. Um, in fact, uh, this Sunday is the Euro Championship, and mm-hmm. Sophie, my youngest Sophie and I, my youngest is a foodie. And um, we are going to make Italian dishes and English dishes 
to eat. One of those is going to be better than the other. Yeah, this is true. I hate to say it, but. Uh, we're doing fish and chips and Italian meatballs, cannolis, and then like some sort of yeah. biscuit. Anyway. I'm, I'm pulling for the worst food. Worst food team, by the way. Um, I am too, just because they just, their their national team has just been just, you know, they just can't get it together for decades. Anyway. I just think it'd be funny too to have Brexit and then win the Euro. <laughs> yeah, that, that is good. Um, the internal flaw of soccer is this, that you can't really have comebacks. So well, you can, but you, it's like a you can, but a it's, one three it's, to it's, a three three. It's very difficult, right? right? Because you can just sit back, like yeah. It's very difficult to have a like comeback. football prevent defense. You still can make gains against. Right. Like if everybody sits back in soccer, it's just very and hard. and baseball technically you can always extend an inning. You can extend right. the game. So I I feel that the the major flaw in soccer is that. Well, it's 2-0 in the first, you know, in the 47th minute. And you're like, well, it's a blowout, you know, Right. where I think that and maybe this is part of the reason why Americans are always just a little bit suspect of soccer. Like the underdog has a hard time in soccer. Yeah, well, I, someone had a really good idea once that I like. Um, and I think that what as the time winds down, like um, put another ball out there. Or start taking players off. I like increasing the number of balls because <laughs> the, uh, like, especially when you get to that extra time, mm-hmm. this is something else I don't like about soccer. I understand the philosophy. There was time that was eaten up. But there should be multiple balls out there for extra time then. Because then there is going to be more scoring. That's right. Or you just Americanize it, put it into a gym, and bounce it off walls and indoor soccer. Well, they are, yeah, they do right. that. Or that got banned at MLC when we were there. You remember yeah, that? Because yeah. there was injuries. I remember as a People kid. People were checking into the, the stage where yeah, the lip of yeah. the stage came right. off. You could get some serious damage there. And there was. Um, that's like hockey. So, you know, it's soccer and hockey right. together. Um, another internal flaw of soccer is uh, probably the shootout. Even though I like it, it's exciting. It's like comes down to that. Yep. I don't like know? it in hockey either. No. Although it's a little bit different just because it's. It's uh, there's at least some movement. I would like to see wanna, hockey like uh, they have done this where it's like a three on three kind of thing, um, but like two on two or something like that would uh, be kind of cool. The um, I wouldn't say it's an inherent flaw with soccer, but I would put with soccer and with basketball um, that currently, as the rules play out, they reward flopping. Yes, this is true. And too. the NBA is becoming worse than soccer with this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't blame the players. No, because you're taking advantage of the rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but it it's uh, I think um, it's and it's not just the flopping that it looks ridiculous. You're taking yourself out of being able to help your team, mm-hmm. right? Like that should be punished. Like mm-hmm. let them flop, and it's like the the t- the toddler, and you go, okay, have your tantrum. Mm-hmm. But now your team is without your help. Like if you flopped, you got like a two minute like a penalty box, two minute. That I, I, yeah. I would say I'll take a sport now. Okay. Um, baseball, which is probably my favorite sport overall. And I would say it's the. Mo- I mean, there's some flaws like okay, right now too many too many strikeouts, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, but you're, the you're, game itself. Don't say the ahead. thing that. Go, okay, I'll let okay. you go. Um, but I would say probably my favorite sport. Um, I do think it gets bagged on a lot unfairly about it's not as popular as it used to be. Whatever. I think part of it is just the general American, like, the sport hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it should drastically change for people. I think what makes the sport 
good is that you kind of have to grow into it, right? That this is, so I, I think, uh, you know, they have to do a better job of really um, instilling the sport in people. But uh, um, unwritten rules, that would be, and I think that's been there pretty much since the beginning. Um, I get it. Sometimes. And this would be another thing to use my NBA thing. Real life does operate this way. There's all sorts of unwritten rules um, that go with friendship, that go with work relationships. That mm-hmm. it just it's understood, mm-hmm. right? Um, but sometimes I feel like contextually, it just makes people look stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I get like I'm not. I don't want super bat flips, whatever. Mm-hmm. But someone hits a home run, they can be excited. Right. You know, and you've had, in the last couple of years, some managers kind of come out and throw their players. Mm-hmm. I also don't like this, oh, you're up by a lot, so you don't really try when you're batting. Mm-hmm. I think that's terrible to g- develop bad habits for the sake of an unwritten rule. Like, your next game's not going to be good if you're taking bad swings or whatever. Um, so I am going to acknowledge a contradiction between my approach to the mm-hmm. NBA I took and MLB. Um, but I'm going to go um, with unwritten rules. If I had to pick a second one, uh, to be fair, um, for, uh, to, the, uh, to the MLB, um, and I think it's one that they've, they've tried to address, um, I would say some, um, some pace of play things mm-hmm. um, do get, um, like I'm glad that the relievers have to do three batters now. I mean, and I, I love the Brewers. They're my second team after the Tigers, but Council was terrible at that of, like, we're gonna f- you're going to face one guy, then we bring mm-hmm. the next guy. Um, or, you know, stepping out of the box all the time, which I love Miguel Cabrera, but love mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, there's my MLB. Yeah, I think inherently in the game, I would I would argue, I'm not saying it's the most exciting game. I, it's, I, it's my favorite game, but it's not my most favorite to watch, football would be. But inherently, really? I think that, I think that baseball's, the most perfect of the game in this sense that it doesn't have those, these inherent things like, man, how can you fix that? Like the, the, the fouls at the end of NBA game or whatever. I think the biggest, it's also not captive to time, which goes right. against partly what I said, but it's a unique sport in right. that way. It is unique to that. But I think inherently it is your, Oh, you can, you can switch too many pitchers. So it just, it's constantly, it's just too much. Sometimes I think that is you're, you stop the game too much, right? Right, And I'm not necessarily talking pace of play, although I, I agree with, with everything that you said, is that um, part of its charm is that it's slow enough that it can be intellectual, right? Because right? you're always thinking, okay, there's a million things going on in every sport, but baseball slows it down enough that you think about these things. But that's, in, I think, the worst thing is that you can slow it down too much. All right, huh. football, what do you think? Is there anything inherently wrong with the game of football itself? Not the culture, not, but something like a, that it can't really be fixed. You can try to, but it's something that just is, 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 is problematic. Um, I would say it's up there with the NBA as being having a lot of things that are really hard to define. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very hard to um, – I would say it's, it's very hard – to have rules that can be consistently applied, and not because of refs or even the league, um, but because there's so many unique aspects. I mean, what is a clean block? What isn't? Sometimes it hinges on. Um, so I would say that um, 
it's probably – in the NBA, usually when a foul is called on someone, they did foul. Mm-hmm. It's more an issue of they're not calling the same thing on someone else. I would say in football, there's a lot of times where you go, I'm not really sure that that guy did that wrong or that that wasn't a catch, um, stuff like that. And I, I get that while replay is meant to help with that and it's helped somewhat, I think it's also confused things somewhat. Yeah, I would agree. The in, in, inherent flaw in football is that it's so physical that it's just almost impossible to actually right. govern. Okay, hockey. Here's the inherent flaw of hockey is um, too many goals are an accident. Too many goals are knocked off a skate. You know what I mean? It's like... I. Maybe twenty five percent of goals are well. That was lucky, you know. Like if it's if it's. But that's kind of the fun too. Like a it Dino Cicerelli camps in front of the net. So, some just, some of these things are part of the charm, can be the inherent flaw, right? But I I think that that's probably my biggest beef of hockey is that there's too much. Just throw it in the net and just throw it at the net and see what happens. I would say the puck, from a spectator point of view. Yeah. I think uh, one of the, hockey to me is one of the lot best live sports. To oh be sure, at. I mean and the best playoff against the and the best playoff sport. Right, um, but uh, I think what that honestly it makes it hard for it to grow from a spectator perspective. Sometimes is it's just so hard to see the puck, you know. Um, but otherwise, I I kind of think hockey is one of the better officiated sports. It. Uh, the pace of play is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way they do line changes. You know, it's it's such a unique way of doing substitutions. Well, one of the hard things of getting into hockey is you kind of have to you have to know some intricate rules about right. icing, but also line changes and stuff like that it becomes difficult for new fans too. Yeah. Right. Okay. I would uh, with soccer and with hockey. I would like to see like just a season where there's no offsides. You know, like what? See what happens. Yeah, maybe it blows open scoring, but maybe it doesn't in a way that's even. And like, what happens if we just do that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there is something beautiful about a perfectly timed, not going off sides, mm-hmm. scoring a goal in either of those sports. Mm-hmm. But like, what if I could just cherry pick? Yeah. Or adjust, especially for soccer. Somehow, like if if the if the ball is within like or the balls. Yeah. We're an extra time. There's two, three balls out there. If you're, like, once the ball crosses midfield, there's no offsides anymore. Or yeah. there would be an, another line, yeah. like, like a blue line. I'm not saying you have to get rid of all the lines, but yeah. I think some sort of compromise of, like. Moving the blue line in hockey closer to the nets, having a blue line in soccer may help. Oh. And 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 I don't mean same as blue lines in, in hockey for soccer, but like once the ball passes three quarter field, then we're not we're you're not in doing, that zone. You're, we're not yeah. doing we're not doing offsides anymore. Yeah. But that'd be difficult to police. So right. Anyway, I think we've we're at twenty three minutes. We probably should move on a little bit. But yeah, that's a good one. We'll be back with our main topic. And that brings us to our main topic. Before I forget, Mike, I just thought of something that should be a free-for-all at some point. Areas of life that one thing from soccer that I do like is relegation. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. 
areas of life that would be better if there were relegation in them as well? That's a good one. Like maybe even in politics, like sometimes the governor shows some promise but clearly didn't have a good year. They get bumped down to like mayor of something and then they can work their way back up. Business. You could do statehood. Yeah. That would solve the Puerto Rico, Washington, yeah. D.C. Like, stuff. You know, you have the worst roads in the country. you got to be a territory for a while. Yeah. You fix that. You're back up to statehood. Yeah. I, so this is a free-for-all to think about. Because I do think it It really, it's a good way of doing things. Like, you're not out forever. Right. You can make it back. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought about that. What would that look in American sports? What would that look like in American uh, sports? But what about if you even did it with, like, NATO or the U.N.? yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you know, Iran, you're misbehaving. Right. You're regulated. You're relegated to junior UN for the time being. All right. That brings us to our main topic, which is a, a little book called Vocation. Or like liquor. You know, like if you're, you cark off, you can't, you can't, we're going to tax you more. Right. Now it's it's 30% instead of whatever it is. Yeah. That, that, hurt, be, that hurts you. because So then you can't, you can't just be cheap. Right. right. You have to have a certain amount of quality. And I like that, too, because, like, companies that, like, aren't meeting certain standards, like, okay, we just you can still you be a company, whatever. But, yeah, like, you're relegated to this higher tax tier. It's not a bad idea. Right. Sounds like a Yang idea. It could be. It's very creative. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Vocation, the setting for... Um, human flourishing with a forward by our friend with Let My People Go, an organization that fights against human trafficking, Riley Seidler. Um, and uh, this book by my friend, Michael Berg, it's got an airplane on it, um, doctor's coat, keyboard, um, a guitar, car, saxophone, football, all these different things that people might do as vocations, a sock or a shoe, I take it that's a cobbler. That made the converse mm -hmm. shoe. Um, and so uh, to talk a little bit about this book, as we've done when uh, other of our publications have come out, book's been out a while. I think it's doing pretty well. Mike did a um, 1517 Academy series on it, which you could find at 1517.org with a little searching. And uh, a book that I know was bouncing around in your head for quite a while because you kind of sounded stuff off me before and so i guess the first question i would ask bike and some people might be familiar with this and some people less so though is uh i know for me a lot of the stuff i've worked at worked on um really goes back decades i would say for sure it would be for instance with my dissertation right that um i can tell you um where i got interested in adiaphora and it was basically when i came into lutheranism and people use this word for all sorts of things and i was just fascinated by it um where uh, would you say your journey began with uh, thinking about uh, vocation long before you, th you decided to write a book on it? Yeah, so in college already, um, the word was bounced around. It's Samely with like adi a lot of these words, adiaphora or postmodernism, existentialism, that we in our circles throw around and you just want to raise your hand. You're, you're like, does anybody know what the definition is, you know? And um, then started reading Gene Veith, right? Um, and 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 he resurrected this idea of vocation and Lutheranism, especially in America. 
uh, bringing back Gustav Vingren and stuff like that. I remember hearing about Gustav Vingren, his book, Luther on Vocation, that kind of thing. And then um, it just became very practical, of course, in in the parish setting, right? So I started thinking about that. Well, that was a game changer in my pastoral ministry. And then when I went to grad school, I went to an evangelical school and um, had to do with sort of apologetics, but also culture and philosophy. And so you had to put theology, culture, and philosophy together. And I'm like, what am I going to write at an evangelical? And I didn't really care about the dissertation. I was just doing this because I wanted to do it. And I had a couple ideas that went nowhere. And then I said, what's, what's an idea that's not going to... And they were great at Biola. They said, be Lutheran. But I, I didn't really feel like handing in a paper on infant baptism. You know what I mean? Right. So... <clears throat> or the said, real presence. Yeah. So uh, vocation came to mind. And then the quote-unquote philosophical component was this idea of shalom. Um, eudaimonia in Greek... Uh, we would, I would translate both of those as human flourishing. So I did a project there. It was not really a dissertation, but it was a project. So it was like research with people and, and with, with texts, of course. Um, and so it's not like this is my dissertation. That would have been super boring. Um, <clears throat> so then uh, when I got here, I kind of like, you know what? I should uh, maybe write something. And then actually the final catalyst was, uh, 1517's director, uh, Scott Keith happened to be at our house. He was in Milwaukee and we, and we had, he and Joy over at our house and, uh, we were talking about teaching a freshman and how, uh, you know, he had taught at, at Concordia Irvine and like, oh, freshman, you know, and it's difficult to teach them. And I'm like, I kind of like it cause they're idiots by definition, freshmen are idiots. And I'm an idiot. I actually like freshmen, and I find my freshmen yeah. be quite smart. I'm an idiot, and so I kind of know how an idiot works and thinks. And I think actually that is an advantage for me to teach, uh, for lack of a better term, lower-level kind of stuff. I know, okay, this is what you need to know, right? Cut through all the clutter sort of thing. And uh, I, I still hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but the next day he was... He was uh, on our podcast and I think you had stepped out of the room, but he had said, I remember last night that you, you talked about um, how you liked teaching, teaching freshmen or whatever. And I'm always looking for authors. And he, he kind of said, we're 1517 is, um, you know, they're not way up here. It's not like you're writing textbooks or anything like that, but it's not way down here, right? They're sort of in the, I, I shouldn't say this, but he said we have mildly educated people writing for mildly educated readers, right? And I think he meant that, um, well, maybe not as an insult, maybe so. Anyway, and he wanted something a little bit lower, and I said, well, I'm your guy, right, to to write for uh, a lower lower class of, of readers. So um, that's then finally pushed me, and I had already, I had already worked up a couple chapters because I thought, okay, let's see how this goes before I try to find a publisher and... He said, go for it, and there we go. And then we wrote it, and here it is. And I, I think, um, yeah, what he was probably getting at with that is, you know, there's a variety of stuff that <clears throat> that comes out. There, There is some stuff that's very high level that's aimed at, um, aimed at academics, but I think one of the strengths of um, the publishing house is that they also really are concerned with writing stuff that will reach a popular mm -hmm. audience um, because it is about, getting these concepts that we think are important 
out to a variety of people and so um, a variety of backgrounds Lutheran and non-Lutheran um, but also a variety of uh, um, levels of engagement with theology and that's always a, a challenge to write well for both um, you know the fellow professor who may be reading something um, but also for you know the person who reads their Bible um, and hasn't really read a theology book in a while but wants to pick one up. Um, and the person who doesn't know much about Christianity but finds, you know, stumbles upon something and uh, wants to make their way through it. And I think you've, you've done it with the book. And um, I think 1517 has done it with a, a number of, of um, its works as, as well. Uh, so... We're here at the at the college, and vocation is something that comes up in College 101 that all the freshmen have to take. Um, I would say vocation is a term that's on the tongues of a lot of faculty and staff as they deal with students. Um, we're probably uh, one of the colleges in America where that term is bounced around the most, I would guess. Um, <clears throat> most of the others would be either Lutheran or Catholic, and they would be uh, other Lutheran institutions are Roman Catholic institutions, and, and vocation is used very differently in a Roman Catholic setting. What um when I when I bring up vocation, um, for instance, in some of the classes I teach, I can kind of see students' eyes just mm-hmm. glaze because they've heard it in College 101. They've they've heard it, you know, in other ways. Um, but a lot of times, once you start digging in, into it a little bit more, um. They'll say, you know, I didn't realize there was as much to it as there mm-hmm. as there is. What um, what it's do you? Just, f- it's it's a simple doctrine, but it's deceptively complex. Yeah. So for for those out there, uh, and, and in your experience in the classroom, who have heard the term vocation, and they have a decent understanding of what the how you would define the term, um, what do you think w- for you is the biggest in to get them to say, okay, I'll give you my attention for a little bit more on it. Yeah, there's a there's a number of things. Let me just go with one, and we'll see where the conversation goes. I, I think when people are coming from an American mindset, even a Lutheran American Lutheran mindset, a culture, uh, air they breathe, it's very turned in, right? So vocation is just another way to say, here is my calling, here is my career, this is what I I was born to do, and all this kind of stuff. But it's very still curved inward, and to to say something like this. Um, you know, you're going to be you're going to be put into a position where God's going to call you to serve a neighbor. I don't know where it's going to be. So this is Ephesians two language. Uh, I'll say to the to the freshman when we talk about Ephesians two, after we hammer home all semester that you're saved by grace alone, I'll say something like, I don't you know I don't know where you're going to be in five years, and neither do you. I know you're supposed to make a five year plan, but that's a you know whatever. You don't. God knows that some of you are going to be in boardrooms making decisions. God knows some of you are going to be at the hospital, uh, hospital bed, um, tending to somebody who's dying. Uh, some of you are going to be teaching uh, kids who, who have learning disabilities. One of uh, you may be the patient dying. Right. I, I say stuff like that, too. Like, you know, some of you are, may, may bury your children, you know. Let's be real here. And God will have you exactly where you need to be. This is what he means by preparing good deeds in advance for you. So it's, it's, that's neighbor language rather than, kind of the generic God's got plans for you. 
And then I'll say, turn that upside down. God doesn't have a plan for you as a plan for your neighbor. Right. And then to, and then to end with this, and it will be your highest honor. It will be your highest honor to change a diaper. It'll be your highest honor to be a wife or husband. It'll be your highest honor to make that spreadsheet or whatever. To uh, take care of all the bureaucracy after <laughs> a car oopsie. Yeah. Um, it'll be, yes. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, Wade giving me advice right now. We have a, we have a totaled car in the family um, because of one of the drivers in... We don't, it just didn't happen. One of the drivers in my family um, made a mistake, thousands of dollars mistake. And so there's a lot of things that I need to do to make this. uh, God has prepared them in advance for you. So, and it is my highest honor, even if I complain about it. And that's part of vocation, right? This is what, this is crosstalk, right? What what does it mean to to bear a cross? So to, to say, this is your highest honor, right? Um, because you're a co-worker with God. I like to think about, and I, I can't remember if this was my idea or somebody, it's one of those things like, well, that's a really good idea. It must've come from somewhere else, but I don't know where it came from. Um, but think of vocation as a Christological endeavor. So you serve Christ and you are Christ when you serve somebody else. So let's go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus says to... Uh, Here, one second. Flip, 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 flip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did that come through? Yep. Okay. He was flipping a book if you couldn't hear it. Um, There's a separation between the sheep and the goats. And Jesus is going to say to the sheep, the believers, you know, something like, well done, good and faithful servants. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the sheep are incredulous. When were you ever in prison? When did we ever give you? And Jesus says, whenever you gave a small... Whenever you gave a cold cup of water to the uh, least of these brothers of mine, you, you served me. So when I serve somebody else, I am serving Christ. Vocation tells us that we are God's co-workers. In fact, he puts us on as masks. Let me explain that just for a second in a very simple way. Um, you, you sit down junior for, for lunch and you make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And he's a good little boy. And he says, thank you, dad. And then you stop and you say, we're going to thank God and you pray. So you thanked dad and you thanked God. Well, what gives? Who was it? Well, the answer is both, right? It was God through the person in this particular instance, the father who fed the child. Why? So the child doesn't die. That's God wants that child to be taken care of. So God used, put on as a mass, the father to feed the child. So the father serves the child as Christ and the child sees the service as Christ hiding behind a mask. So it's a Christological endeavor. So we think of all of life in these Christological terms, right? Um, so that's, that's one of a couple dozen ways where you can get a little bit deeper here. And it's simple, but deceptively profound, right? To think about all of my interactions are Christological in that sense. All right, sure. And uh, I think um, that's helpful. And the, the next thing I wanted to ask was, uh, what main influences come to mind as it, you were nudged towards writing on this? 
or as you worked on it, and these can be influences of, uh, of authors or mm-hmm. or just simply people in your life or pastors? or Sure. I, I think Gustav Vingren, uh, a Swedish Lutheran uh, pastor and professor, I think he was a pastor, pastor and professor, um, in the 60s wrote Luther on Vocation and resurrected uh, this idea of vocation from a long wilderness of modernity that I believe was turned inward, even in, a, in, a, in the Christian world, was turned inward, a hyper-emphasis on personal integrity, right? Um, we call that virtue for the sake of virtue or sanctification for the sake of sanctification. Neighbor was nowhere to be found very often. Uh, Gene Veith then resurrected it again about a, a, um, a generation later in the late 90s. And, and uh, so those are big influences. My father talked vocation. I think he was of a generation where that was not a big deal, though. But it was, it was somewhere in the background. I would honestly say the people of my first parish, right? Um, I think I said in the book they taught me more than I ever taught them. I think most pastors would say that, especially their first call. Um, they taught me what vocation is. They didn't have everything right, but the way they talked, they didn't have the term vocation, but the way they talked about the value of work um, was influential to me. Um, There's a variety of other authors that got bits and pieces from, but if you're looking to get into this, it's Gene Veith and Gustav Wingren. Those are the the ones. And they then help you read Luther, because as we know, Luther is not a systematician. So you, he doesn't have a book on vocation. Uh, sure. It's it's here, there, and everywhere for him. Yeah. And then uh, if same, we... Same way with scripture, by the way. Like, you're not going to find the term vocation. Where do you look for vocation? Well, here, there, and everywhere. Sure. Yeah. Um, if we think of now you as a person who holds um, vocations, right? God has placed you in different vocations. Um, as you have written this... Um, I'll use the illustration, right? Uh, back in the parish, sometimes you would do, you know, I would do marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And I always found that hard because then I would go home and realize how bad I was mm-hmm. um, at uh, doing the very things I <coughs> right, mm-hmm. talked about. Uh, now, that being said, I'm not asking for some big confessional here. Um, quite the opposite. How has, for you, um, working on this, and, uh, you know, in many ways, uh, the book is a uh, the final product of um, not just thought, but uh, you know when you're writing something, you experience it, right? Mm-hmm. This is your you're going through it. You're not just thinking about it. It kind of becomes another family member for a while. Kind of this this project. Um, how would you say studying vocation, working on the book, talking about it as often as you do at conferences has informed um, how you view uh, ha- or have viewed your vocation in the parish, the home, or the classroom? Uh, profoundly. I would say to, to my family vocations, um, you know, the, the, one of the analogies I use is you, you go up to a Marine and dress blues and you say something stupid like, thank you for your service, because that's all, you know, right. empty words. But, but if the Marine's having a good day, he may say something like, it was just a privilege to be a part of something bigger. That cause being, let's just say, freedom across the world. That's you know, we'll we'll leave that for a different discussion. But you know what I mean. And notice that the marine does not lose his identity. He's not a cog in a machine, right? He's not, he's not like a unknown worker somewhere. 
but he's lifted higher up into himself, uh, higher than himself into something greater. So I started to think about marriage in those terms too, where um, God said, Michael, I want you to, to be the husband of Amanda. I want her adored. I want her respected. I want her encouraged. I want her loved. And, uh, I'm choos- and I couldn't find anyone else. And I'm choosing, I'm choosing <laughs> you, you idiot, right? But we talk about that all the time. What else is God going to use but sinners, right? So I'm lifted higher than myself. I don't myself. mean can't find anyone else. Like Amanda couldn't get someone else. I meant it the opposite. Like, right. Amanda like, could get someone right, else. But like he, like. I meant it he more for, as a dig. He forgot, like, right. He forgot the, get to give Amanda a spouse and then everything was left over. Right. right. Yeah, I get it. Um, so, but to see, okay, this is, this is not some cutesy little uh, wedding sermon where it's like, it's, it's man and wife in Christ. And it's like a three chords put together and whatever. But that this is my highest calling, right? That God says, I want you to do this and vice versa. Now, what, what that means is that when I screw up, it's not really about my own personal. You get over yourself. You're like, this is not about me being a good husband. Who gives a flying flip about my integrity or whatever? Because that's scoring points. Nobody, nobody's keeping track of that. They're not. Um, I somewhat do. Yeah, but... Just for, like... <laughs> For the things you do. Sure. Um, but you're really... It's kind of like Madden. I give you ratings. When you do that, you're really not concerned about my integrity, although you're concerned about your integrity and a competition, right? Right. So in the end, nobody really cares if I'm a good person or not. God doesn't care because Jesus is already... I care. You don't care... Um, you don't care... F- how I'm doing so that I can, um, you know, be worthy of God's love or of your love. The only no, I way love you unconditionally. Do, yes. So in the end, I just want to make sure you don't overshadow me too much. <laughs> so it's about you. So if you get right? up to like an so 85, like mad and rating right. for like husband, I want to be at least like a 77. Right. That's my point is like, you're not really caring about me. You're caring about yourself in this competition. Yes. Right. So that's the whole point that I shouldn't care. Why am I caring about myself? So to be curved outward that way is actually, it sounds, oh, that's all law. And I suppose it is, but it is actually quite freeing, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. the freedom of the gospel that you don't, you don't have to worry about, about yourself. So I think that would be point, point number one. Uh, point number two is that if it's God's work that I'm carrying out, right? So I'm a coworker with God, but ultimately it's God's work. God's going to get his work done despite me, maybe even sometimes in spite of me, right? So then the pressure comes off from that angle. God will get his stuff done with or without me. That's really important for young pastors too, who think they have to convert every single person. Like, let's just calm down. I'm pretty sure God's going to do okay without you. It's a privilege to be a part of this ministry that frees you from from counting. Right. And I think the right. same is true for like helicopter parenting. Like Sure. Right. And and there's a lot that has to do with like so called life work balance and all those kinds of things and where does my vocation end and what it, where does my vocation start and somebody else's end and start. There there's a lot of ethical things that I say vocation is not it's not an ethical it's not an ethic in the sense that we study virtue ethics, right? But it is um helpful 
when we talk about these ethical issues. So uh, the other thing is in the in the classroom too is uh, or or being a, a a pastor or whatever whatever vocation you're in is to be freed from the idea of promotions, salary, all that kind of stuff. And you end up losing yourself in what we call the craft of your vocation, right? And I think that's really one of of the wonderful gifts of, of work is that you can lose yourself, not just in the love of neighbor, but also in the craft itself. Vocation is a gift in a certain sense. And that doesn't mean... When you say not worrying about the promotion, doesn't mean that a promotion might not come, hmm. but it it would come because you were able to lose yourself in the thing and people make notice rather than making the promotion the telos or the right. end goal, because right. then that comes and now what's your new end goal? It becomes another it's a rat race. status mark. Yeah, and and this is something that we try to instill in students, but it, I don't think they get it until they get out of out of school. Is stop worrying about your grades. Start learning. You know, free yourself from that, and that's when you actually learn. Right. Right. Worry about learning. Yeah, worry about learning. So, you know, I, I use the analogy. Uh, I think I use the analogy of an accountant and a, and a janitor. Let me do, let me do the janitor for a second. That even if you are cleaning the bathroom in your household, you may have like a system, like I do this, or you're cleaning your garage, you're mowing your lawn, you're changing the, something that you hate doing or whatever. That. Uh, or, or that could become a chore that you hate. I had to pick up dog poop yesterday. Yeah. But I don't like doing that, Mike. In many of those tasks, and I would argue as hard as it can be, it is possible for all of the tasks to have um, a, a pattern that you follow. I do. I get the scooper thing. Well, first I get the garbage bag. Yep. Then I put it. I have a little special white garbage can I mm-hmm. always use. Mm-hmm. Then I get the scooper. Then I do the, the side lawn, you know, mm-hmm. that area. And then I do the front because our dog can't do the back steps anymore. Mm-hmm. She's bad legs and she's deaf. But she can do the front. So she often will do her business in the front. And then I do the front last. Mm-hmm. And then I throw it out. So there, I would, I would ask you this question. Is there a right way and a wrong way of doing it? There's a more efficient way to do it. There is a way that right. you... You you have thought about with this. my bare hands would be wrong. I think you have thought about this. Yes, and so I dare I say that there's maybe even a craft to this task. There is because I also can with the little thing. I now can do multiple units of excrement mm-hmm. before I have mm-hmm. to put it in the garbage one time. Uh, changing a baby's diaper. Mm-hmm. That's craft. Especially the right if you have amount a boy. of yep power. Right amount of powder. Have you ever had to change a boy's mm-hmm. diaper? You had all girls. Uh, I think I did it once and didn't want to ever do it again. Yeah, see, we had girl first and then boy, and um, you're just not ready for the boys to surprise you. So you huh? you de- definitely develop the craft of like leaving certain things sure. defended against as long as possible. And there are there is a um, picking up the legs the right way. Yeah. Not too tight, but tight enough. Right. There's a craft to all these things. And when you lose yourself in the craft of whatever it is, you could it could be uh, these tasks at home. It could be how you prepare your class. It could be how you put out a fire. It could be how you put a spreadsheet together, this, that, and the other thing. These are things where you take the, the correct pride in your work. Right. And that's when work becomes not always enjoyable, but in a certain, it, it becomes less of a drag. 
Well, and this was right. in the parish. I used to always uh, love mowing the, the church lawn. They had like a zero, what do you call that? Zero, zero turn. turn sure. You know, nice mower. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes members would say, you know, well, we can do that. Why you? So, no, I want to do it. And it was precisely because I had the certain way of doing it. We had, you know, a fair amount of land. Mm. And you could dot and you could look and just say, that looks nice. And it wasn't that you were like, I didn't post it on Facebook. No. I didn't get paid for it. But uh, as someone in the ministry where sometimes you don't get those moments where you just look and you go, that's all done. There was a sense of satisfaction with, with that that, uh, you know, um, the same as you get sometimes where, um, you know, you have, you baptize the children of people you confirmed or, yeah. you know. And I think what what we're saying is whatever vocation you, you have, you can find that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, some vocations are going to be easier than that. It's actually kind of hard to find that as a pastor because you're managing souls. Ironically, yeah, it's very right. difficult. Now, but it's it's easier to have a sense of calling for a pastor. So a, a woodworker, a mason, a guy who mows lawn, can easily find the craft and then at the end of the day say, that was done well. Because it's very difficult for a middle manager to right. say, was I successful or not? But I would argue that even in those cases, if you're in the right mindset, of doing something ethically for the betterment of your neighbors that you can still say there's a right way to do things in a wrong way. I don't mean right and wrong in the sense of moral or immoral necessarily, but this is, this is Craft the, is a good way of saying that. Yeah. This is the right way. For instance, I was taught, um, in seminary days in, in one of my jobs, how to take a extension cord and wrap it up properly. There's a craft to it. Yeah. Right. That's the right way to do it. And again, maybe there's other ways that are right. So it's not, we're not talking moral, immoral, but there's a craft to it and there's a reason for it. And to take the time for it, that, 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 that is a gift from God to say, you know how to do that. You've thought about it. You were taught that and you did it the right way. It's kind of like, it sounds like as you're describing it, kind of like, um, family recipes, like, um, Almost every family might have a certain recipe for how to make mm-hmm. a certain meal for a certain holiday. <clears throat> and one's not right, one's not wrong, but there is a certain joy in a craft in like learning and perpetuating, you know, how the family has done this for for however long. And you, you go to someone else's family for a holiday and they may have done that thing differently and you can enjoy it, right? But there's, um, you know, when you do it, this is this... It's a, and I think it's something that the Lord allows us to, to fall in a, into a pattern of things because, as you mentioned, losing yourself, that's kind of how we, you know, when you really get into a, um, something that you can enjoy. What, um, what time, we, time flies by when you're, when you're doing exactly. something. Yeah. We're, we're, at, we have, we're at 55. Let, okay, I, let me ask you a couple questions then. Okay. Anything, uh, one of the most frustrating things I find with writing anything is... Uh, that it eventually it ends and it's out there and inevitably you're going to have, and it happens even with sermons, have stuff you wish you would have yep. hit on or head in. Anything that comes to mind that didn't make it into the book that you wish had? Um, I, I don't know that I wish it would have because it, it would have taken the book in a different direction, but we've talked about this off air a few times where uh, vocation since this was written not necessarily to pastors, I, I, it didn't make it in there, but it's so difficult for a gospel preacher to get up and 
encourage people, if you want to call it law, preaching, whatever. The, the threat was always, I don't want to leave them with law, I want to leave them with the gospel. So how do I preach about the issues that are on their minds? Abortion, social justice, the next election, all those kinds of things. I think vocation is a way that you can teach about virtue and you can preach about things that are on their minds without making it law. Now, there's still a danger there because vo- vocation's in the realm of law. Yes, work is a gift from God, but it's not a gift of salvation, right? He gives us purpose, which we all need because we're, we are made for something greater than just subsistence living. Um, but it's not the gospel per se, right? It's in the realm of the law. Well, in this well, in I, don't let me interrupt sure. long here, but just <clears throat> I think this would be a good discussion down the road. Um, you know, vocation is in the in the realm of law per se, um, but it's not station, right? Vocation it has a definite um, relationship with the gospel, mm-hmm. and maybe a, a, an episode on vocation, third use of the law, mm-hmm. new life in Christ would be really helpful because, yep. um, you know, the way that vocation is related to the law is very different than than um, how it would be before someone has has come to faith. But sorry, go ahead. Right. I mean, you can't. We talk about it this way. You're free. You're not just free from, you're free for. Right. Right. I mean, so now you're talking about what is a human being? What is a Christian? What's my identity? You start getting into uh, ethics and, and stuff like that. For the preacher, practically, how do you get up and say abortion's wrong, racism's wrong, you name it, without being, you know, picking a side or being political in, this, in, in whatever mess we're in culturally? any generation is going to have those messes, right? right? And I think one of the ways to talk about that, and even the day-to-day life of how, being a good father, being a good mother, being a good worker, is you, you, you couch it in terms of vocation. This is what a good politician should be because this is the neighbor of the politician. This is what a good businessman is, is supposed to look like. Um, and then to couch it into, again, the terms of this is your highest calling. You're so free from having to work to, to please God. You're, that burden is gone that you can actually be free now. The way I kind of talk and, about And free from the legal scheme and salvation by works, but also free from power dynamics, yep, all that. free from institutional concerns. Uh, yeah. yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Which is often what makes these discussions you're talking about right. almost impossible to have. Right. Now we can step in a realm where we can say, we're not talking about mm-hmm. those things. We're yep. talking about neighbor. And to say what what a privilege it is to do this. And, and then always to say, hey, when you screw up, you're forgiven. And it's going to be okay, right? So I, I think vocation, I think there's a whole... You could have added a whole chapter here on how to preach vocation um, and, and what a blessing it is to, to think about. Um, you know, I think every good sermon should have law, gospel, means of grace, and vocation in it. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, I'm not saying every, don't use the word vocation you every Sunday. You may have just created <laughs> the next homiletical model for 20 years. Yeah. And now every seminarian is going to have to make sausage with this. Right. Don't do that. Preach the text. Let the text be your outline is my, my advice. And then. Always let the gospel end uh, be the be the ending point, but I think it's really helpful when it when it comes to politics and and the so-called whatever you want to do third years of the law that it, it just it, it just 
takes off the rough edges. Why? Because it's not about your integrity or your righteousness or your sanctification. It's always about the neighbor, right? And that, that really is freeing, I think, in the end. But the way I talked about it with Luther is to say, and this is a sarcastic way of doing it because Luther was not a, a lazy monk just cloistered away praying incessantly. He was doing things as were monks today and monks back then. But certainly there was some that were, that, that, that were like this. What is a monk to do having now understood the gospel that they don't have to, that their ethical orientation is no longer vertical? What are they supposed to do with all, literally with all their time and their energy, their thoughts and everything? If it's not a vertical ethical orientation that they have to please God. Well, the answer is love of neighbor. Now the ethical orientation is horizontal. And we don't have time to get into that, but Luther's really fascinating on talking about this ethical reorientation, how he'll, he'll start talking about you owe nothing to God at all, but you know, you owe everything to your neighbor. And, and then the ethical quandary of, for instance, a soldier, an executioner, heck, a, heck, a butcher. Um, he'll go so far as to say the ethical agent in all of this is the vocation itself, which he means is it's God, right? So if God tells you to judge as a judge, but in the gospel says, do not judge, um, then the ethical, the ethical responsibility is on God because you're doing God's work when you, when you judge, when you kill, when you throw somebody into prison, all those kinds of things. So that's a whole nother episode too. And I know you get into that when you teach ethics, just real interesting. Yeah. And, and just um, to piggyback on that a little bit, you know, another thing that's helpful with how Mike approaches this and the Lutheran approach, how Luther approaches it um, is a lot of times when we say then, okay, now we're in the horizontal, the horizontal has largely been dominated by the, the virtuous pagan and that um, often we're, we're now in the realm of uh, virtue ethics, right? And virtue ethics can be very helpful, um, but even there, it's not the horizontal in the same way um, because it's ultimately for me, right, to make me virtuous and society work well, which I'm a part of, and so I can have good relationships with my neighbor. Because Aristotle, for instance, rightly realizes that we're social creatures. Um, you know, vocation frees you even from that mm -hmm. um, to go beyond virtue. Because what is virtue at the end of the day? Um, virtue is still scorekeeping, <clears throat> right? It's still ranking. Um, last question I have for you, Mike, that I have. Um, and then we should be done. Right down here. Peter says we should record together again, maybe do a backdoor session right. or a backyard session. Um, the... Uh, so um, maybe we'll get rope, Peter. We got to get Ben now. Yeah. Uh, last question for you, Mike. Anything that stands out that has come from conversations you've had about the book since it came out? Anyone who's come up to you mentioned something, or something that's come up a few times, or anything that stands I, out? I, I um had some Pentecostal person or whatever say this is this is you know fantastic and life-altering it wasn't life-altering because of vocation it was life-altering because of the gospel and then applying the gospel to our day-to-day -day lives and vocation so that that stands out but i, I uh, meant to say this uh, maybe go a little bit long here but we, we talked about okay this is your highest calling to be a janitor to be a husband to be you, you pick you a friend anything in any vocation um at the same time and then we talked about losing yourself in the craft of your job and stuff like that. At the same time, 
because you're so free from this, you actually can, because you're so free from trying to be virtuous for the sake of virtue, that you can let some of those tasks that you don't like to be done by another person in their vocation. So I, I use the, in the book, I use the analogy of why don't you have a maid? If you're a middle-class person in America, why don't you have a maid? And, um, we can, you can use all sorts of excuses about, well, you don't have enough money. We don't have this, that. Or I think thing. it would be flaunting by wealth, the flaunting your wealth, all that stuff. And I find all of that, um, garbage. Michael, the reason do why not attack our Midwestern <laughs> yes. humility, our Protestant worth ethic. Yes. Uh, so, so, so humble that we're proud of our humility. And that's what I'm attacking. What if the say, neighbor saw a maid coming to uh, the house? And, and what I'll say to that is, is this, that finally the reason you'll get a maid is because you want to be seen as, as something virtuous, your virtue for the sake of your own virtue. And so I lay this scenario out and I say, wouldn't this help your family if you, if, if maybe you got a maid once a, once a month, would that less stress on your family? Less You're talking about like during the night when no one will notice it. It doesn't have to be a maid. It could be, um, I want like a Nicodemus uh, maid <laughs> having, having somebody, having somebody change your oil, uh, do your taxes. You could n- name any other things that we put pressure on ourselves. We have to do that in order to be self-sufficient. So, but I like the maid a- analogy and I have had a multiple people and one recently say, um, I felt so guilty because I couldn't keep up with the housework and I brought somebody in once a month and this just relieved my guilt. You know what we should so do? So that's probably the most, we should get a, a maid service question. to be a sponsor for the podcast. There you go. Um, this is, that's probably the most satisfying because that's real people who are feeling unnecessary guilt on, because of a man-made law, a law they put themselves on. And now that they understood the gospel and vocation, even people that n- understood it, uh, academically now it was applied to their life so yeah. that that is you asked the that yeah, question good one. that was i'm yeah. gonna hire a parent yeah would that be okay well i think to come that, and parent my kids that, that 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 in your situation that may be the most loving thing to do <laughs> well mike i i thank you for joining me on let the bird fly um we thank our <laughs> listeners for bearing with us uh being gone for quite some time the good thing is, most people who have uh, asked me about, oh, are we done doing this, whatever else, have said they're getting caught up. Good. So apparently we have enough out there that people still have stuff to work through. Um, but hopefully we'll be getting at this a little bit more. Uh, I mean, I think the summer is going to be busy for both of us, but hopefully we can be more um, intentional mm-hmm. about making time. We do have to uh, make the studio feel a little bit more homie homie yeah um but uh we thank you for bearing with us we look forward to more conversations um in the days and weeks to come uh i will try to get this produced in under two months does that sound fair it's about right uh, um we supposedly have a wing in it somewhere too we do that we somewhere. need to find we had a very good episode that got lost yeah, um and and that was unfortunate but uh that's my it fault. happens no my it's no one's fault it just happened. Um, but uh, but so we did have a little bit of content. We didn't get out, but we'll be getting back to hopefully doing more, maybe in the backyard with Peter, which would be which would be great. 
Until then. Yeah, you're the guest, so you're supposed to say the thing. Until then, let the bird fly. Another round. Another round.